Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, 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 everybody, back to another episode of Haltech Hall. Good evening, Mr. Haltech. How are you, sir? Good evening, Double A. I'm doing okay. Doing okay. We are now, what, 11 days from uh, the Bears kickoff in Detroit and just eight days away from the NFL starting in Kansas City. Um, there's a, But there's a lot of things that are going on in the country uh, historically. And uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that before we get into the second half of our show with uh, with our Bears uh, content, with what's going on down at uh, down at the uh, the other hall, Hallis Hall, uh, and uh, in in order to do what we want to do, uh, we asked uh, Bears historian uh, from the Windy City Gridiron to join us. So Jack Silverstein, welcome aboard for the for again for it's been a long time and it's great to have you back. Thanks guys, appreciate it. Thanks Mike. Thanks Aaron. Absolutely. Always glad to have you on. Always, always glad. Hey, before we get into it, uh, what's going on in, in Jack's world? I know uh, uh, on your Twitter account, you've uh, you've been uh, talking about you're writing a book about the Bulls. So uh, do you want to do you want to spend uh, 30 seconds to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I am writing a book called Six Rings about the history of the Dynasty Bulls, and it is a. It, it's a history of the Bulls, but it's also a local Chicago book. So it looks at the Bulls not only from the perspective of what they did on the court, but what they meant to all of us off the court. And I am uh, running a newsletter called The Shot on Elo, where I am sharing with readers the work that I'm doing thus far. And uh, and that's, uh, that's available to readers for... The uh, the low low prices of uh, a pippin a year or a pax in a month, and if you know what that means, then uh, then you're the right reader for this. So <laughs> most recently, most recently we had an interview with Scott Williams, three time champ, and uh, really interesting guy, really interesting conversation. Um, next, I, I don't know when this this uh, podcast is going to run, but we're sitting here talking on September second, and uh, next week there will be. An interview with Jim Irwin, who was the sound producer, the sound engineer at Chicago Stadium during the first three-peat. And Jim's got some great stories. He he showed me a picture of his press pass for Game 6 of the 92 Finals against Portland and his press pass for Game 7 of the 92 Finals, which obviously was not played, but they gave all the staff their press passes for both days. So it was a it was a pretty cool pretty cool picture, 
And uh, so that's coming up and, uh, and a whole lot more. Sounds great, Tom. I'm, I lost track of the Bulls um, after the uh, the '98 season, and quite frankly, I wasn't a fan of the of the Derek the Derek Rose era. And of course, since he left, there's been nothing to to shout about. So it's great to relive these championships from '91 to '93 and '96 to '98 through all of the resources that have become available. Uh, watched every episode of The Last Dance, and I, I can't wait to read your book. I will be, uh, maybe I can convince the author to give me an autograph. I'll buy it, but if I can get an autograph from you, that would be we great. Can, we can make it happen. We can make it happen. Sure. Awesome. So, you know, let's uh, segue back to uh, to 2020, and there's been some some interesting things going on in this country historically, and, and athletes from uh, starting with the the Milwaukee Bucks uh, boycotting a playoff game, which turned into and you and I talked about this. I thought it was a, a historic moment in sports for the the Bucks to do what they did. Uh, I thought, and you disagreed with me, that uh, I thought that the NBA kind of diminished what the Bucks stood for by just eliminating all the games. I, I really would have loved to see Milwaukee actually just forfeit the game to make that stand, to make the stand seem stronger. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it was a necessary move. And then, of course, uh, the, the Milwaukee Brewers uh, did the same thing, and then some teams in the NFL decided to uh, uh, not practice for a couple of days. Um, and... Uh, the Colin Kaepernick uh, dilemma, for lack of a better word, uh, kind of kind of came back to the forefront. And on Twitter, you talked about a former bull that tried to lead this charge back in the 90s and ended up getting blackballed from the league. I hope I've set it up well enough for you, Jack. So from there, sure. the, the, the floor is yours. Sure. Well, I, I, thanks, Mike. And um, and I want to and I want to make a point uh, and draw a distinction. And it was something that I didn't have this language correct either when I originally wrote about it. So the former bull is Craig Hodges, and the night that the Bucks led these protests, I got in touch with Craig and talked with him for about 20 minutes and did a newsletter for my. Uh, for, for for my readers, and I interviewed Craig about what he thought about what, what these guys uh, in the NBA and in some other leagues had done, and the point that I missed that um, that a lot of people missed, and uh, the, first per- the first place that I saw that got it right was Mother Jones. It's not a boycott. It's a strike, and the difference is, is that you can't boycott your own, you can't boycott your own job. You boycott something else. So famously, you know, the bus boycott, you know, 1955. You're, you're boycotting use of the bus. But what the players did was they went on strike. And specifically, it's something, and again, this was a term I didn't know, uh, and it speaks to some of the, the lack of understanding around labor issues, but it's a wildcat strike is what the Bucks did. And that is when you go on strike without the approval of your union. And I think that these are important terms to understand just because it's always it's always good to to get it right. But also, I think that the I think that people react differently to the word strike 
than to the word boycott because of what it means from a labor perspective and you know the ability you can you can go on strike for at, at your job and um, just some some to bear in mind. So what Craig Hodges tried to do is in 1991 while the while the Bulls and Lakers were in their warmups getting ready to start the NBA Finals which started in Chicago so game 1 he tried to get Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson to go on strike and to sit out the NBA Finals in order to protest a variety of a variety of injustices that the, the the guys in the league and 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 gosh the leaders in the WNBA who have been at the forefront of social issues um, that are still happening today. He wanted to protest uh, racism in the country. This was this was just in the wake of the Rodney King beating, and he wanted to protest the league's inequality in a league that's 75 percent black players. Where's the black ownership? black GMs, black coaches, and that was what he wanted to do. He went to Magic, and Magic said it was too extreme. He went to Michael, and Michael kind of rolled his eyes and said he was crazy, and Craig told me he just kept him moving. He didn't consider doing it on his own because he felt like it would not have any of the power. Um, so for him, it's a very interesting time where players are – taking the reins of their um, careers and 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 looking at the the power that they all have. So yeah, I mean it was historic. I, I don't think that the NBA like like you said, we talked about this online and I didn't think at all that the fact that the NBA um, allowed the game, the Bucks game to become a game that was postponed rather than a game that was forfeited because remember originally the Bucks didn't come out of the locker room. The Orlando Magic, their opponent, they were ready to play. But I thought that that was actually the league showing support and um, thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't want to, like, dap up the, you know, billionaire owners too much. But, um, but no, I thought that that showed support and that was cool. I thought it was cool when I when I reread what you what you wrote to me. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think where, where I was coming from was this could have been monumental, that, that Milwaukee refused to take the court, and you know, they forfeited a game for what they believed in. And, and let's, let's put all the cards on the table, Jack. This is something that the Bucks maybe started, but everybody else has to finish. We have to stop what's going on in this country. Every man, woman, and child, whether you're black, white, red, green, I don't care what color you are, racism of all types has to stop in this country. Uh, yes, agreed. Uh, no, no arguments here. I'm with you. So, Aaron, what do you got to, to add to this? This has been a great conversation. Yeah, did, did we put you to sleep, or are you just riveted again, speechless? No, I was just waiting, <laughs> just listening. Um, well, I mean, what I think is that, it, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, I think, you know, it presents an interesting question 
um, for the players and the players of all sports. And I think that what you what you found was that once the um, the players did this, and then the NBA, you know, other teams followed suit. Then uh, you had other sports following suit. Uh, you know, it's. I wonder. I wonder what the long-term effect is. One of the things that I was was impressed by was the action that was taken um, at the at the uh, request of the players to uh, turn NBA arenas into polling places. Um, which I think is going to have a tangible effect on this next election, especially when we're facing, um, you know, an issue with uh, mail-in voting, whether you believe there is an issue or not. Uh, it's a hot topic. Um, and then you have, a, you know, an issue of polling places being <clears throat> overwhelmed or, you know, cut hours, uh, people working them, being able to be socially distanced, et cetera, et cetera, to have these NBA arenas, which are not being used, uh, be available for voting is very good. And so I think that's the big question that everybody has to ask themselves is, okay, a statement is made and statements keep getting made, but what is the action that takes place? You know, what is the follow-up? Um, you know, you can paint whatever you want on the court and you can put the jersey names up and, you know, different things. But I think that, you know, and, and I, I I don't know if I said this on another episode or not, but I feel like sometimes that has about as much effect as, uh, you know, the pink stuff during Cancer Awareness Week. It just becomes white noise, you know, no pun intended, um, and it, it just doesn't, it, it, it kind of loses its effect. Or what it becomes is fuel for the opposition to galvanize against these sort of things and so that's what we see is is a, a galvanization of the opposition to this type of stuff which is very strong unfortunately um and so sometimes what can unify one side can divide things in general and can also strengthen the opposition so i felt like there was some good action taken as a result of this but then, you know, the players are faced with the fact that they have to go back, you know, because they, they they had meetings right afterward and tried to figure out, okay, so what do we do next? You know, we obviously want action to take place. You know, they talk, some people talked about that there there might not be any more games at the but then basically they give up their platform. And I think ultimately that's what they decided is that they're more powerful with the platform than they are without the platform. Uh, but I think they were struggling with this idea of how can we be an entertainment and a distraction from what's going on in the country right now. Uh, so, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I think these things are, are extremely important. Um, but sometimes with the way that social media, media, the, the sort of, you know, what used to be the 24-hour news cycle is like, seems like it's like an eight-hour news cycle now, and, and we just move on to the next thing. So, you know, I think it's very important that the players and everybody just, you know, keep pushing and don't let, don't let things die off, um, you know, just because it's time to, you know, uh, play basketball again. You know, you make a great you know, point. No, I mean, I mean – Oh, Go ahead, Jack. I was gonna say, let me let, let me ask you guys because you guys, you know, you guys have a a, a platform as well, and you've got a Bears show, and you guys are huge Bears fans. Um, but here you are talking about something that is not 
not the answer that everybody who are Bears fans agree with. And we, we, I mean, we obviously already know that, but we saw it play out last week when 54 tweeted what he tweeted and shared on Instagram what he shared. And, or maybe there wasn't a tweet. Maybe it was all Instagram. And you know, you had, you had, you had obviously a lot of Bears fans who were, who were pissed and you had the Bears making their statement and you had some players, you know, his former teammates making their statements, but you had a lot of people who were like, awesome. This is why I rock with Brian. And this is, you know, speak your truth or whatever they were saying. I mean, do you guys hear backlash on your show or online from Bears fans when you talk about, and I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about it. I'm listening and I'm all for it. I'm just saying what you see as part of Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, great, great question, Jack. And that's what I love about you is, is you, we ask you questions and you turn around and throw questions back at us that are, that are far reaching. And, and I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I have seen the backlash about Erlocker. I've seen framed jerseys, pictures of framed jerseys thrown in the, in the garbage can, uh, which, uh, which is sad. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But I'm they, talking about the other. No, but I'm talking about the other side because I'm sure the three of us all sit here and go, "What he said is totally trash. How could he say that? What a terrible thing!" But I'm saying you guys, and I'm a Bears writer too. You guys, as Bears, you know, sure, you know, writers, podcasters, you have to. I have to imagine you disagree with what you're saying, who agree with Erlocker and who say. I agree with Erlocker, or it's just his opinion. It's no big deal. And I'm wondering what kind of backlash have you guys seen as a result of being Bears media people who talk about this? Yeah, I have. I have not. I have not seen. Um, I, I don't. I can't tell you how how many threads that I've seen about this whole problem, whole situation with Erlocker's Instagram. Uh, I just I just haven't seen anybody supporting him. Uh, I really I really haven't. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on social media because of my new job, uh, so I haven't had a chance to really delve into it. Aaron Aaron's been out of work because of COVID, so maybe Aaron can speak to us to this a little bit better than I can. Yeah, I mean I've definitely seen it. I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of this has exposed. Um, a lot of people and, and, and Bears fans included. Um, I've certainly um, been on my own personal profile. I've been very outspoken. Um, you know, yes, being, you have. Being, and, and it's lost me a lot of Bear fan followers, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Most of the ones it's lost me are people who hide behind fake avatars anyway and, um, you know, and, you know, mostly just tweet all bear stuff. But then when these social issues come up, all of a sudden they can't take it anymore and their true colors come out and they, they use the anonymity to um, to get their their message across that they really mm -hmm. want to get across, which is generally one that's that's pretty negative. Uh, my mm -hmm. personal feeling, you know, with with the Erlacher issue that I saw that I encountered was people. There's this sort of veiled thing that people are doing of late where they they want to say, you know, what you said, that everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And and my issue is not Erlacher's opinion, per se, even though I think that 
um, of the two things that he put out, him uh, whole, him liking the picture of, of Rittenhouse uh, that, that, that labels him a patriot and a hero is actually far more incendiary than the than the other thing about you know far playing after his father died and the NBA players can't play, you know I mean they're both bad in my opinion but I think the Rittenhouse thing is even worse. Identical, um, yeah. But I will say this: I see most people sort of defending him in a kind of obtuse way and saying this thing of like he's entitled his to own opinion. And what I'll say to that is he is definitely entitled to his own opinion, but when you use your platform to to basically spread lies, that changes things uh, in my mind. Um, and when you it's one thing for him to you know to hang out with Trump and give Trump a signed jersey and and whatever. that's that's okay. It doesn't make me feel great because I'm not a I'm not a Trump supporter, but I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that that really affects my fandom of him. Um, but the way that I put it, and I did a thread on this on Twitter, basically is you know because I'm from New Mexico. The reason I'm a Bears fan is because of Erlacher. Mm. I, I was a fan of his at UNM. <laughs> you know, he used to he used to come to our school. He used to come, you know, to to. I'm I'm the same age as him. He's a little bit younger than me, but he used to come, you know, um, to schools that I was at. You know, he would, you know, he would. He's he's a huge celebrity in New Mexico. Of course. Um, but where he grew up is basically Texas. It's funny, you know. It's not Albuquerque is very progressive, very hippie, and but where he grew up in Lovington is like oil fields, you know, of Texas. So it's different. It's a different world down there. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily surprise me that he might have some of those. Some some views that are not as progressive as you know the University of New Mexico and and, and all of that. Um, but you know at this point I kind of I, I kind of find myself compartmentalizing it because I don't want to discard my fandom of him at when he was a player. I just find it disappointing that he could live in Chicago, play with black players, play under a black coach for all these times, and then now have very ignorant points of view and not only have them, but then choose to promote them um, and promote, you know, these ideas, which are just not true and use his platform for that. You know, the guy's really not that active on social media. Like he's really, you know, the, the most Chicagoans only see the guy because he's on all these hair replacement billboards. I mean, let's be honest, he doesn't have like a <laughs> he doesn't have like a you know, he did he couldn't even get on the damn plane to come to Bears 100 because he, you know, because he was sick, so he said. Um and he disappointed a lot of people from that. So it's not like he has this like super active you know, role in Bears media or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just kind of have to compartmentalize it. Like, here's a guy that when he was a player, loved him. He's the reason I'm a Bears fan. Now, unfortunately, he is a person that I don't identify with and that I cannot support. And so am I going to throw – I'm not like a memorabilia guy. I don't have a bunch of stuff. But am I going to throw my Erlacher jersey away? Am I going to burn it in effigy? No. I'm not going to probably wear it again, though. Right? You know, I'm definitely not inclined to do that. Um, so that's kind of where I come out of it. But as far as, like, specific backlash to us, no. I haven't seen it. But, you know, we try to – 
we we definitely speak. I mean, the last episode we had Eric Lambert on, we had a you know very candid conversation about social justice and um, and everything. I haven't heard specific feedback um, against us for that, but we don't really use the Haltech Hall handle for for that either. So, got it. No, I was just curious. Lambert, Jack, let me. He stole yeah. one of my stories. Yeah, <laughs> Jack. Let me. Let me. Uh, in the essence of moving moving along, let me ask you this. Um, I I think what the Milwaukee Bucks did is precedent setting, and uh, this now gives uh, NFL icons like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, just to name two, your, your last two MVPs in the league, uh, just to say, I'm sitting out. And there, there's nothing the league can do about it. And God bless them if they do, because this is something that has got to be eradicated from from not just United States culture, but worldwide culture. And if they sit out, uh, it's it's going to be uh, earth shattering to see some of these guys, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, especially when you're talking about Dallas, who, you know, you've got Jerry Jones on record of saying, if you protest, you're off my team. Yeah. So what happens if Ezekiel Elliott or uh, Amari Cooper or C.D. Lamb or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Khalil Mack decides to say, I'm not, I'm not playing today until we see some reform. It's wide open for these guys to do. And I guarantee you that one NFL athlete, if not more, is going to use their platform to do exactly that. Uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see. I mean, it's certainly look that football is obviously much different than basketball with so many fewer players. It's much easier to sit in the locker room and have a conversation among 12 people and say this is something we want to do. And it's much easier for people who have a huge impact to do that. I mean, the Chiefs wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without Mahomes. But they played all right in his absence. I mean, they weren't floundering. So even if it was Mahomes, it would make it would make news. But fans would still, uh, well, <laughs> not this year, but hypothetically, fans would still, you know, come out and watch the Chiefs, and people would still watch, and 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 the team would be competitive. The team would be much more competitive than the Bucks would be without Giannis, um, despite what they're doing to the Heat, right? Or uh, flailing against the heat right now. I mean, my thing with the Bears and with Erlocker is that, like, I try to always keep a certain distance, um, and I always assume that there's going to be something that a person does on a personal level that's not really going to be cool with me, and I assume that as a fan. So I try to just be a fan of, like, what they do on the field and then if there is something that happens during their playing career that would make me not a fan, like perfect example, Ben Roethlisberger. I can't mess with Ben Roethlisberger because I, the, 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 the allegations of, of sexual assault and rape um, 
the details, the fact that the league suspended him. I, I just think that that stuff is probably true. And if there's two of them that we know about there, you know, who knows if there's more, but just the two alone. And I, you know, if I had an opportunity to interview Ben Roethlisberger, I, that's all I would want to ask him about. I wouldn't want to do like a, hey, talk me through the final drive of Super Bowl 43. Like, it would be that. And as a result of that, I don't really, I don't really mess with Ben Roethlisberger. But the stuff with Brian having happened after his career, um, you know, I just, I, I, you know, hey, listen, to ha- obviously I couldn't. This is a family show. I don't want to. I don't want to say what I would actually think about uh, the, pre- uh, the president of the United States here uh, and uh, have to beat me out. But like, look, it's not just Brian. We saw Singletary pose for a picture. We know what Mike Dicka thinks, and so I'm still able yeah, to appreciate hey, what for, they, for the, what for they the did. Sake, for the sake of the show, Jack, let's let's move on. All right. Yeah, I, sure. I just I just don't I just don't want politics to get involved in the Halitech Hall show as much as I appreciate your input. George Hallis, to, to move on, we're speaking with Jack Silverstein from from Windy City Gridiron. You can catch him at Reed Jack on Twitter. Uh, one of our favorite guests on the Halitech Hall show. Uh, and he spends a lot of time going into the history of Chicago sports. George Hallis had a special relationship with uh, several black players, uh, most notably Willie Gallimore, Gail Sears, Walter Payton. And, you know, from the, their eyes, you know, obviously we, we know, we know what, what George Hallis thought about Willie Gallimore. Uh, the guy, you know, the guy was as fast and as shifty as Gail Sears. He just came at a time where, where the the NFL wasn't on TV as much as it started to be in the mid '60s, uh, and he got he was tragically killed when he and Bo Farrington went out to go get pizza for the team to bring back to training camp at Rensselaer in Indiana, and uh, uh, we all know what uh, what George Hallis thought about uh, and what Gail Sayers thought about George Hallis and the relationship they had with Walter Payton. I want to spend a few minutes thinking about that before we get into our last segment with you, Jack, uh, because I know that uh, you're a little bit pressed for time and I wanted to move the show along. Sure. So George Hallis in the relationship with some, with the, with, with these three guys, they're, they're all black men. They're, they were all very special to Hallis. Uh, and when you're talking about the late 50s, uh, you know, teams were, you know, locker rooms were, were segregated. They were on the road segregated. The, segre- the uh, segregate, segregation didn't end until the Gale Sayers era. And then, of course, Walter Payton era. Uh, the, 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 the love between, between Payton and the Hallis family was legendary. So I want, yeah. I want you to comment on all of those people. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess to contextualize it, when you look at the Bears' history um, with race relations and, and black players and black coaches, and if you just look at black players and a conversation about George Hallis, I mean, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that, um, that George Hallis on a personal level with players was um, tuned into them, loyal in some ways, 
and we obviously know he was uh, a hard businessman in other ways, and that was something that bothered players of, you know, that, that bothered a lot of white players, too. Bronco Nagurski talked about it. Dick Buckus talked about it. Um, you know, with Gallimore, when Gall- <laughs> like you said, when Gallimore died, George Hallis personally gave Gallimore's wife the news, and he later called the crash the saddest day in Bears history. Um, he told the team the next day, he said, something like this reaches the heart and makes everything else seem petty. It's going to take a great deal of willpower to carry on, but I know you can do it. This is him addressing the team. He says, a great honor can be bestowed upon Willie and Bo if you will dedicate the season to them. So, you know, athlete re- re- repurposing tragedy into uh, into athletics and, you know, Brett Favre, example of that. Erlocker, when his mother died. The Houston Comets, when Kim Perot died. You know, there's there's all sorts of examples. Um, you know, Gal Sayers, he, he wrote the forward. Oh, I'm trying to remember which George Hallis. My guy, Jeff Burkus, will be mad at me. I'm trying to remember which George Hallis book it was. But Gal Sayers wrote the forward for that. And, you know, Gal Sayers, if you've read his wonderful autobiography, I Am Third, you know, he talks about what Hallis meant to him there. And, uh, you know, that was a very special relationship, as you said, in terms of Sayers and Brian Piccolo and what, you know, the team was doing there with making them um, their first black-white roommates on the road. Uh, or I'm sorry, in, in, in training camp. Uh, Sayers wrote in, yeah, here it is, the, the foreword for the Hallis, Hallis biography um, by Jeff Davis. And he wrote about Hallis. He was a great man, and uh, he could just kept repeating, just a great man, founded the NFL, brought it through the Depression. So obviously someone who, who loved and appreciated George Hallis. And then Peyton, I mean... Thinking about Peyton and the Hallis family, I actually think more about Virginia McCaskey and sort of what her response to Walter's passing was in 1999. And then when we beat Green Bay right after Walter passed away, the first game after Walter passed away and seeing Virginia, I don't remember if she was crying or not, but I mean, overjoyed and obviously so, I mean, overjoyed with, with, how the win happened, obviously so upset about Walter having passed away. And the team has, you know, the franchise has two statues, and it's George Hallis and Walter Payton. Um, we all know what Walter meant and means to this franchise. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You could talk about the history of, of the Bears and, and racism and race relations for a long time, but... Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure what else there is on this. That's okay. But, uh, you know, it's important to, to reach back. And one of the things that separates the Halitech Hall show from all other Bears podcasts is our rich history content. You've been on our show talking about Bears history. Uh, JB has been on our show talking about Bears history. Uh, oh, yeah. We do a, we did a segment on every single Bears whose number has been retired by the organization. Uh, so that's what sets the Halitech Hall show apart from all the other Bears podcasts. And and to that point, historically speaking, uh, we are 
obviously, not only are we in unprecedented times with this the struggle for racial equality, but you've got you've got Dak Prescott, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Patrick Mahomes as quarterbacks in the league and performing with two out of three of them performing at the highest level. And that always wasn't the case, was it, Jack? Well, if you're talking and, about and Russell Black, Wilson, <clears throat> yeah, Russell, Russell, thank you, Aaron. Thank Desha- Deshaun Watson. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we're talking about black quarterbacks, and black quarterbacks have have always dominated, always succeeded. The question has always been opportunity. It's always been, you know, a great collegiate quarterback, you know, a great quarterback coming out of college who's black, and the league wants to turn him into a wide receiver. Um, you know, we saw as recently as Charlie Ward winning the Heisman with Florida State in 1993, and there were, you know, no guarantees of where he was going to go in the in the draft and what opportunity he was going to get, so he went to the NBA and, and played with the Knicks. I mean, Warren Moon, they um, he, he had to go to the CFL and and prove himself and his if you look at his passing number it's it's crazy what numbers he did in the nfl considering how many seasons he had three four seasons in the canadian football league um Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's uh that's that's wild i think mike vick was the first i think mike vick was the first black quarterback to be chosen number one overall um and that would have been in 2001 so it's we're we're still in a growing period there. Um, and yeah, so one thing I was doing, you know, when 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 the word came out, when a lot of the reporting came out about our 2017 draft and trading up to get Mitch and but like not having the the meeting with Watson that like went beyond what they saw I think at the combine but not having an additional meeting and and uh and 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 not going after Mahomes and the fact that we signed Glennon over Kaepernick and I was thinking about going after Cade McNown instead of Dante Culpepper uh so I was just looking at each franchise's black quarterbacks uh in terms of games started just to see where the Bears fell on this list all time. Uh, I started with George Taliaferro um, with the Colts in the 50s, and uh, he played three games, started three games with the Colts in 1953. Um, Deadspin, a couple of years ago, maybe it was 2014, uh, had a wonderful two-part feature called the Big Book of Black Quarterbacks. And that was a starting point for me um, where I was looking into, you know, who would... Because I, early on, the, the position wasn't quite developed yet. So I started with Talia Farrow. It was Greg Howard at Deadspin who wrote that piece. So here are the numbers. And I'm still sort of sorting out, you know, what I would want to write about this. And I might just published the numbers but here are the numbers the for the for the the, the franchise with the black who have had the most games started by black qbs you you want to take a guess there's two that are neck and neck there's two franchises and the the leader has 317 starts by black quarterbacks and the, the second one has 
316. You want to you want to guess who the two are? Seattle would be one. No, but they're. I would guess the Redskins. Maybe that's all. That's a good guess. Campbell and Doug Williams and maybe one other, but. That's a good guess. They're 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 a little who, bit low. Who did who did Warren Moon play for? Yeah, now now you're on it. The Oilers. So, so, the, or, so the Oilers, the Oilers slash Titans. Right, because McNair also. Vince, McNair, you had McNair, Vince Young, Vince Young Warren yep. Moon. And then who's 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 second? I mean, I think the Bears have to have a decent amount just from their history, but I, I don't know that they've actually started a lot of their black quarterbacks. I know they've had a. Bears are near the Bears are near the bottom. Okay, so so number two is the it, Eagles with 316. Okay. Randall Cunningham, sure. And McNabb. Right. Yep. Then you've got Tampa with 227, Minnesota, Seattle. Doug Williams. Yep. Seattle, Carolina, uh, Washington, um, and then a little bit of a drop-off to Jacksonville, Detroit, Pittsburgh, uh, excuse me, Detroit, Dallas, Pittsburgh, and those franchises all have 100 starts. By I, I wouldn't. I would not have pictured Detroit to be on that list. Charlie uh, Batch. Who, uh, Rod, Rodney. Rodney P. Rodney P. Rodney P. Rod, of course, yeah. I, I totally. I mean, Andre, Andre, Weirden, Andre Weirden didn't make very many starts for them. Ultimately, did he? Yeah. So yeah. the the Lions list is 47 starts for Rodney Pete, six for Andre Ware, 46 for Charlie Batch, 10 for Dante Culpepper. Oh, that's right. Yep. I forgot that Dante Culpepper was a lion completely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Total, totally, totally forgot about that. Um, okay. So yeah, next that, up, that's that's for sure. So, but you know, up, we got can, the Saints. Well, hold on. I'll I'll show you where the Bears are. Next up, we have the Saints, and then Baltimore. And Baltimore obviously hasn't been in existence as long, so they've they've got a lot. Cincinnati, Oakland. The Rams, the Falcons, the Bills, the 49ers, the Jets, the Browns, and then the Bears. The Bears have four quarterbacks who have started games, a total of 41 games. Can you name the four quarterbacks? Cordell. Uh, Cordell. Yep. Henry Burris. Henry Burris. Yep. Willie Thriller. No. Wasn't Thriller? Yeah, but he didn't start any games. Um... Who else? Jeff Blake? Nope. So you're missing one guy who we've mentioned already because he played with Washington. He also played with the Raiders. Oh, Jason Campbell. There you go. And then you're missing the big one, the guy with the most of the most starts. Vince Evans. Vince Evans. There you yeah. go. Vince Evans. Yeah. So, so the Bears at 41. You know, you got the Texans. His, you know, his, his rookie year. Going back to what you were, we, when we first started this segment, going back to what you said about turning uh, black quarterbacks into other other position players. Okay. You know, Vince Evans started his career with the Bears returning kickoffs. Yeah, I know. That's 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 wild. That's wild. So you got the Texans, who are one start behind us, but they're going to pass us with Deshaun Watson. You got the Colts at 34. So if Jacoby Brissett stays healthy, they'll pass us. You got the Chiefs at 32. You got the Cardinals at 31. So all those teams will leapfrog the Bears because they all have black starting QBs this year. 
Then you're down to the Dolphins at 18, the Chargers at 11, the Packers at 10, the Broncos at 6, the Patriots at 2, but they're going to come up with Cam. And then the New York Giants, in their illustrious history, dating back to, I believe, 1925, have had one game started by a black QB. Yeah, it was when Eli got benched. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, that is I, I, ironic. So, so, Jack, ironically, you were talking about the Denver Broncos. They only had six starts? Six Did starts, Did you say yep. six? That's right. So Mar- Marlon Briscoe played for go. the Denver Broncos and is considered the first black quarterback to start a game in the modern NFL. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's how got, how he's bizarre. Yeah. How bizarre is that that Marlon Briscoe was one of the the pioneers as as a black quarterback in the NFL. Played for a team only started five games and they're one of the you know one of the franchises with the least amount of, of games yep. started by a black quarterback. Yep. Yeah. Now that's that's true. But the but then you also look at like well the Broncos have also had some better quarterback play. Obviously Elway, Peyton Manning, they you know Cutler they thought was going to be what he was, et cetera. And in the seventies, you know, Craig Morton, you look at these other teams at the bottom, you've got the giants who have had hall of fame QBs and super bowl winning QBs. Same with the Patriots, Packers, chargers, dolphins. Uh, and now you've got the Cardinals, chiefs, Colts, Texans, who all have black quarterbacks starting right now. And then the bears are, are next. So, it's not as if we've had a lot of success at the quarterback position. Obviously, I'm not saying anything that uh, that people don't already know. Um, I also took a look at how teams have spent top four fourth round draft picks, so picks in the first four rounds, and the Bears don't score too well there either. So. I don't know. I've got. A, I, I know a lot of people in Chicago. I got a lot of friends who who say that the Bears don't want a black quarterback, like as an organization. Uh, I can't. I can't speak to that without talking to people in the organization. But the numbers certainly are not great. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's difficult to. I think sometimes you start to go down a slippery slope of kind of retroactively making accusations and convicting even people. Now, I agree. I've always felt like I've always felt a couple things about the Bears is that the Bears always seem to have one guy that is on the roster that makes no sense. And it's always a white guy. And it's like, <laughs> it's whether it's like your Hunter Hillenmeyer, your Shea McClellan's, your hey, Travis Hey, Hunter, your, uh, hey, Hunter showed out. Come on now. I know, but there's, there's hey. some times that some guys on the team, I look at them as like the great white hope guy. Like the bears have whoa, always got to have, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, here. time out, <laughs> yeah. time out, Aaron. Yeah. I, I got to I got to interrupt you on that. No, that's fine. Let's, I want I want to go back to the to 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody remembers the game in Arizona where the Bears came from behind, scored 21 points without a offensive touchdown. Sure. Okay. It, but at the end of the game, the Cardinals came downfield and yeah. they they attempted a game-winning field goal. Yeah, Rackers blew it. Yeah, no. 
Hunter Hillenmeyer got his finger on it. That was technically a blocked field goal that Hunter Hillenmeyer did. Was it really? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize that he tipped that. Yep. Well, go look. Go Hunter look at that. Hunter probably shouldn't have been <laughs> put in there. But I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I like Hunter. Like there's a guy, and Bears fans will always love that guy. Like you know, whether it's Travis Tanner Gentry, or or <laughs> Tanner Gentry, or Daniel Braverman, or I mean, this year, like I cannot believe that we have. Ryan Nall, but we think we don't need Leonard Fournette. Like, you know, there's just always things where it's like, gosh, the Bears like to have a white guy for the fan base, <laughs> like in a position where it doesn't necessarily make sense for him to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's a sort of a weird statement, but you know, that's just that's just talking s talk. You know, it's not, not real. It's just kind of funny how you have these perceptions in your mind. So it's kind of like you, that's why I say it's like, it's hard to go back and make any kind of real accusation without, and you, and obviously you're the type of person that doesn't just do it flippantly. You, you do a lot of research and take it very seriously, but it's hard to do. And sometimes I, you know, I, I question whether or not, what's the value of it? Going back and and doing that, you know, um, sometimes I wonder. And then, you know, if you are going to say, okay, we're we are certain that they have behaved in a certain way, like what are we going to do with that? Um, I feel like George, for his part, has done a great deal to make them a much more progressive uh, entity than any of the previous McCaskies or Hallises, at least in my mind, they feel a lot more inclusive. I agree with that. So they feel, they feel that way. I agree. That, yes, they feel I and I and and certainly um you know should, I haven't heard any recent allegations against them. Um you know uh, there hasn't you know you would think after the Washington problem that maybe some other teams would have had some similar act levied against them and I feel like the Bears haven't you know had any uh, scandals as, as it were of sexism or racism or things like that so I generally feel pretty good about that because you feel like after a hundred years there would be a lot more complaints if there were more issues maybe I don't know yeah oh, so. I yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it definitely, if they feel they feel better under George, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the stuff. I mean, it's still crazy to me. So, you know, you just have to, they could fall back on the knee injury, and I guess you can kind of wash away a lot with, with that because the guy did end up missing, a, a, you know, most of the season with a knee in the NFL, so it's not like, you know, um, but it just, you know, there's lots of things that make you raise your eyebrows, and sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. I'd say that's all. Yeah. But you'll find that with every team. You know, we've been visiting with Jack Silverstein from Windy City Gridiron. You can find him at Rejack on Twitter. You can find him on Windy City Gridiron. You want to go to uh, Rejack.substack.com and sign hey, up for so for his A Shot on Elo. Subscribe to that newsletter. Uh, he's got right now. He's got a closer look, an interview with Scott Williams. 
Uh, he's got a, an article with an interview he did with Craig Hodges, who we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, and the, the quote is, we're going to see the planet change because of what the NBA, NBA players are doing. And it's, uh, it's never a better time to see that change than it is right now. Jack, it's always a pleasure to have you on our show. We hope you'll be a frequent guest here on out. We're going to take a pause to hear from TickSplits.com. Uh, and when we come back, uh, Aaron and I are going to go over some position battles uh, going on at Bears camp. And uh, today was the last padded practice for the Bears, and they're just going to be doing nothing but uh, shells and walkthroughs here on out until the game that is just nine days or 11 days from today when they play in Detroit. Yeah, Yep, Jack, thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Always. it. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TIXBLITZ.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. TickSplits.com is uh, giving us two tickets to the 2021 matchup in Chicago versus the Packers, which we will award to uh, the one of our followers as soon as we hit 1,000. So follow us here, follow us at podcast, follow us on Twitter, follow us uh, at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, Facebook.com slash Halitech Hall where you can see an archive of, archive of all of our episodes. And uh, it, I tell you what, uh, TickSplits did uh, just uh, get in touch with me recently. And if you want to upgrade that to a, a game this year, if when the Bears play the Packers to end the season, if they're allowing fans into that game, uh, we'll bump those 2021 tickets to the last game of this year because uh, – Quite frankly, that might be a game that uh, is well worth attending, Aaron. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I, I would be surprised to, if, if it got to the general seats if they do, but I, you never know. Uh, but certainly, that, that's, uh, it stands to be, I mean, as Bears-Packers, I mean, you can go see Bears-Packers any time, and it's great. But, um, you know, especially right now. Exactly right now. So, uh, you know, we've got some great position battles going on in, in camp so far. Of course, the, the most important one is, is at quarterback. And, and I'm going to throw something at you. In, and uh, on our Twitter feed at Halitech Hall, we actually ran a, uh, a uh, uh, where, where we had people vote. Who do you think is going to be the starter? We talked about this last week on, a, on our episode, and everybody is absolutely torn between who's going to start, whether it's going to be Foles or whether it's going to be Trubisky. And you, the fans, 50% said Foles, 50% <laughs> said Trubisky. I swear to God, the results are up on our on our Twitter page. So uh, it, it's interesting. So, so Aaron, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you if if you had a quarterback through their first three four years 
as a starter in the NFL. And uh, one of the quarterbacks began their career at 18 and 15. One started at 26 and 19 and one started at 23 and 18. You, in this day and age, you'd be ready to throw those guys out, right? It depends. I mean, I, I but I don't know if I don't use record to determine a quarterback's worth so yeah, much. Well, you but. gotta, you gotta pass. You obviously have to pass the eyeball test, and sure, you know. So obviously, we're talking about Mitch Trubisky here, and in in 2018, you know, Mitch played well. You, you know, he had one of the best years that any Bears quarterback has ever had outside of, of maybe the 1995 season of Eric Kramer. Joe Montana started his career with the 49ers at 18 and 15. Brett Favre started his career with Green Bay at 26 and 19. And Mitch Trubisky is at 23 and 18. Not much of a difference between those three quarterbacks. And please, before you start attacking me, uh, I am not in any way, shape, or form comparing Mitch Trubisky to Joe Montana or Brett Favre. I'm just saying those are the facts. So that said, uh, Stacy Dales, uh, one of my my favorite interview uh, interviewers on the NFL Network, was at the Bears press conference and asked. Coach Nagy about this competition and, and how he's going to be making the decision uh, because today was the last padded practice. They're going to be in shells. Uh, they're going to, they're going to work out to tomorrow. I believe they're going to give a, them a couple of days off Friday and Saturday. They're going to come back on Sunday. I'm assuming at that time, they're going to tell the team who the starting quarterback is going to be and probably not release it to the press until Wednesday, which is the traditional day back from a Tuesday day off. Uh, and, and Coach Nagy has some really interesting th- things to say. Aaron, did you did you hear his press conference? Yeah, I did. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, he did a lot. He did a little bit of walking back, kind of putting his foot in his mouth earlier in the week, and. Um, you know, said that uh, when he said that they weren't going to announce it until the absolute last moment, which again is honestly what I thought what they would do. But he walked that back and was like, well, I didn't really mean that. You know, we're not going to, we wouldn't be able to keep it a secret and we, we shouldn't and we owe it to the, so it was weird how that went down. Um, you know, uh, I was a little bit like, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, there's just Nagy kind of gets into these word salads a lot, you know, and, and it's it's made, I think, more challenging by the fact that the, you know, the Bears media can an- can only answer, ask one question. They can't do a follow up. And, and it's very limited. I mean, Nagy does the longest interviews and they're usually 12 to 14 minutes long total. So, you know, I think one of the things he said was that the, 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 the thing is just really close. Um, which is very frustrating that that's the case because uh, re- I hope that one of these guys, you know, really just shone out and and took the damn job, but it doesn't seem like that's happened. And so what he said is that they're going to go and they're all the the brain trust, um, which you would assume is pace and, and to some degree, but then mostly the, the offensive 
uh, coaches are going to watch every single snap, and he claims that they have this library of tape now that they're going to use to um, make the final call. Uh, you know, so I don't know if this was part of the plan originally. I tend to think it was. Um, but I think also that if one guy had really taken over, we would know already. So yeah, I think you're right, Aaron. I, I absolutely think you're right that if one guy just absolutely stood out and outperformed the other, that it would have been a no-brainer. But you're right. Nagy did say that, that you know, they have before there, there were no camps. There were no, there were no mini camps. There were no OTAs. There was nothing other than zoom meetings. Uh, I hate zoom. <laughs> I, have to, I have to use Zoom for work, even on my day off, so I'm not a big fan. Uh, but uh, I digress. Uh, it, it's 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 a situation where uh, they're going to look. They're not going to look to see if the ball was completed or incompleted. They're going to look if it's a three-step drop, if it's a five-step drop, if it's a seven-step drop. Did they get their footwork right? Did they get the ball off in the right amount of time? And was it accurate? Whether it was caught or not, or whether the defender made a great play on it or not, and let's face it, Fuller made some great plays in camp recently. You know, when they went to 11 on 11, uh, the defense kind of dominated, but you can't put that on the quarterback. That's just the defense outperforming. When would you expect a team that has a top five defense to do? is outperform an offense that was ranked in the, the, the bottom you know, two or three in the league last year. So even if they've improved to a mid-level offense, the defense is still going to dominate. So they're going to take a look at all of these cut-ups of, of tape, this library that he mentioned, and, and Laser and Ragone and, and Flip and Nagy are going to sit there and they're all going to grade every single play of Trubisky versus every single play of Foles. And then they're going to make a determination. And we'll probably know Wednesday who the starting quarterback will be, if, if not maybe Monday or Tuesday. That said, um, there was uh, Michael Lombardi, who I loathe. Yeah. Okay, he's 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 awful. He really is awful. He he is he is awful. Um, but he one of the best points I've ever heard him say was about the Bears' quarterback competition. On one hand, he said they pretty much made their decision by not exercising their their fifth year option. But then he turned around and said this. So talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? He said, it makes perfect sense to put Trubisky in to start first. Now, he, in, in he, while he did so, he took a lot of shots at Trubisky, saying he would be destroyed if he wasn't named the starting quarterback, and he's never going to be able to come back from it, which I don't believe. But what he did say that I do believe is Foles has been in this position before to come in off the bench and and ride the team to a successful end of the year, like he did in Philadelphia in 2017. And, you know, the last playoff game he won 
was the double doink game here in Chicago, which we all love to not talk about anymore. Uh, but, but that said, it makes a lot of sense because if, if they plan, if the plan in Chicago is Mitch Trubisky is going to be our franchise quarterback, A, this is his last shot to do it because he's only got this year. His contract is up after this year. So it's a prove it or he's done year for Mitch Trubisky. So he's got to start the season under center for the bears going forward. And if he doesn't do well, he's done at the end of the year, he's gone. He might even be gone before the end of the year, but then they give the reins to Foles, and Foles either, you know, leads us to, uh, to a playoff bid or, uh, you know, we're going to be six and 10 again. And, uh, you know, looking for, uh, looking for another franchise quarterback. So quarterbacks have, you know, look at, look at what Arizona did. Arizona drafted their franchise quarterback in 2018. What did they do? They drafted their franchise quarterback again in 2019. Yeah. With Kyler Murray. So, you know, right. Which is why, which, which is why I don't buy these people that say like, Oh, the Jets didn't screw up by taking Jamal Adams instead of Mahomes or Watson. They had, you know, they, they, they had Sam Darnold, like, give me a break. Like, you know, if anybody, if the Jets knew that Mahomes and Watson were going to be Mahomes and Watson, they would have taken them, you know, like instead of Jamal Adams. Like they just didn't know, you know, just like just like other people didn't know, you know. So my thing about where we are with the competition is this. I think this is the worst case scenario. I think Mitch has improved and I think Foles has underperformed. And I think Foles, to some degree, gets a pass because of how he was thrown into this. And he really had very little time to do because he was having a baby and COVID, et cetera, et cetera. It's not ideal. Normally, he would have been way out there earlier, would have had the OTAs, would have had. So he didn't have that. That being said, he's still kind of neck and neck with Trubisky. And I think Trubisky, by all accounts, and most reporters I have seen, has improved. Zach Pearson said that. Hogue has said that. Stankovich has said that. Even Weeder has said that. Weeder is usually very negative. He have said they have all said that Mitch has improved, but they still look at neither of them and say that there is a quarterback that is a has distinguished themselves as either the winner or particularly very good. Um, I just think that the bar is set so low right now that you know, that we don't know. Uh, my thing is this, if Mitch did not decidedly win, I don't think you can start him in week one because if the team knows that and knows that you're just giving this kid the job on some weird, you know, uh, go get him, skip, you know, kind of like confidence boost thing or like because he's the incumbent, like, if he didn't win decisively, I think most of the guys on that team want Foles to win, except for a few, uh, if you know, in their heart of hearts, um, because they don't want to go through a season worrying about the quarterback anymore. And I'm not to say that Mitch is not well liked or whatever, but I just feel like if push came to shove, and I think that if you just 
number one, it's kind of a loser mentality thing to do to give the the start to Mitch just because you think he can't take it. <laughs> like if he's benched, I, I don't buy that by the way at all. I, you know, Lombardi doesn't know. I don't think he knows Mitch. Um, I don't buy that at all, but I just like, I just, it just sucks that neither one of them won. I, I, I would have, you know, it would have been great if one of them had won the damn thing, you know, outright and everybody just knew. That's that's what I, that's, this is like worst case scenario to me. <laughs> so you hit on something a little bit earlier and I, uh, and I want to touch on that because what you were talking about is what we're hearing from the press from the, the guys covering the team and let's face it, they're all negative on, you know, they should have gotten Bridgewater. They should have gotten, they should have gotten uh, Cam Newton. I don't think they uh, all are. I think but, there are, but, but the majority, are. majority of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're the, the, what we're hearing out of the press is a little bit of sour grapes in the fact that what they wanted as a Bears quarterback is not in uniform, and we and the Bears are quote unquote stuck with either Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles. Now that's not to say that that you know you have to maybe take it with a grain of salt, but Matt, you know you've got Nagy. Standing at that podium day in and day out through camp saying both quarterbacks have played well. We have a trust issue with Nagy because his staunch support of Mitch last year kind of left a really sour taste in our mouths. Whereas if you remember when we were sitting at the Bears 100 celebration in Rosemont back in June, Everybody was in love with Mitch. Everybody was in love with Nagy. Everybody was thinking this was going to be a Super Bowl or bust year, and it turned out to be a bust year. One of the things that that came out recently that I hadn't heard was how hard Nagy took the loss in London. And, you know, let, let's face it, the Bears got beat up by the Raiders. They, they, on both sides of the football, the bears were physically beaten at the line of attack by Gruden's Raiders. And they quite frankly, never recovered from that. Even though they did go on to go five and three, the last eight games of the year, but you know, they were sitting pretty well going into that game in London. You know, what were they? They were, they were three and two. I believe, or, or three and one or there's something like that. And then they went on and they, they proceeded to fall on their face the rest of the year. It was, it was a situation where Nagy really kind of, kind of, you know, right after that game, when you, we, we saw what was happening, we had the bye week all of a sudden, now we saw an I formation with a lead blocker in in front of Montgomery, which we hadn't seen all of 2018 in the first bit of 2019. So he, he started to change the way he was coaching. And when you, when you listen to what they're, they're talking about this year, 
the Bears want to be aggressive and attack on offense where they just ran schemes and ran funky plays last year and in 2018, and they want to be far more aggressive this year. And that's coming from guys like Leno, not, not the quarterback, not the receivers, not the running backs, but the offensive line, which was quite telling to me. Yeah, I mean, that game was that game was a, a gut punch. I mean, and I think Nagy got outcoached, and they got outplanned by the whole jet lag thing. And I think Nagy, um, yeah, I think, he, I think he learned a lot that day. I mean, that's kind of when we found out that Kyle Long lost his job officially. We ended up finding out that that's, you know, how that went down and – uh, I think it was it was a time where it was like you know Nagy realized like I have to change things up because I'm not only killing the team but I'm killing this defense. Um, I think you know because the Raiders were cut blocking them and they just got manhandled. Um, and that was a time where it's like maybe you could blame the jet lag a little bit, but when Akeem Hicks went out, there was just no life left in that defense after that. Eddie Goldman was getting destroyed <laughs> at the line of scrimmage. Kudo Mack was getting bullied. Like, it was uh, as uh, as ugly as I've seen the defensive line play after Akeem Hicks went out, and they were just uninspired, and they looked exhausted, and and it was just and so, they st- yeah. And they still could have won that game without, you know, right, a, without. a dumbass penalty on special right, teams. Right. And, that's, you know, and that's, yeah, and, but what I think is a problem – you know, and not to get too far off track here, but it's like we went into the bye, and that's been a naggy problem. Naggy coming off the bye has been terrible. His team, you know, we had the Miami debacle, and then they came out after this, and, and the Saints game was, was a train wreck. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, it, you know, he, I just think, like, sometimes these guys like Nagy, they're so hyper, and they're up, and they're former athletes themselves, and, I think it takes them a while to realize that they can't expect everybody to be them, you know, and they really have to, I think, you know, you have to find out you have to coach everybody a little bit differently. And I think he does understand that, but I think, you know, that was probably the first time where he felt like, you know what, like I let these guys down with the way I handled this trip and, you know, everything else and how I'm just getting out coached right now. Well, let's hope that'll change with, you know, with these new, uh, with these new coaches that they brought in right. with, with flip and, and, and laser, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating this game in, in 11, well, now 10 and a half days from now, uh, because we have no idea what we're going to see. We might see a Bears quarterback throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns on Sunday the 13th. We just don't know. You know, we might, we might see, uh, you know, 180 yards rushing between the running back by committee with, with, you know, if that is far starts, that is far yeah. less likely, but yes, I think but it's you, more like, we just, we just don't know. And let's face it, Detroit's yeah. defense, you know, we know what we're going to see in Detroit's defense. They're going to be playing man coverage and Trubisky plays really well against man coverage. I can't I can't speak to Foles because I just don't know his track record against against defenses. But we know what Patricia's going to do. 
So that that said, we need to move on uh, for for time's sake. But uh, there's a couple of other uh, competition position battles on defense. Uh, most uh, importantly, it's the the safety position opposite of Eddie Jackson and the cornerback position opposite Fuller. Those those candidates are are Gibson and Bush at safety. And the rookie Jalen Johnson uh, versus uh, Tolliver, uh, and uh, Vildor has been spending a lot of time at the at the nickel spot too. So those positions seem to be, regardless of who's going to be the starter, seem to be in good hands. Yeah, I think so. Jalen Johnson definitely has taken um, some big steps recently. Uh, Nagy said he thinks he's ready. Um, so they definitely changed their tone on, on tune and tone on him because at first it was a lot of them holding him back with the shoulder and uh, being a little bit careful with him. Um, and then we heard the Buster screen has been playing a little outside. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about it. I, you know, the the, the Lions and the Bears could be starting rookie cornerbacks. Um, although Okuda has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, so we'll see. I'm sure he'll be playing most likely, but that'd be pretty interesting. You have, the, you know, Jeffrey Okuda, who's this top, whatever, he's like top five pick. And then Jalen Johnson, who everybody thought was going to be a first round pick and end up being a high second. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. I think, um, I think I feel pretty good about the cornerback uh, in general, um, a lot of people all this week were talking about, you know, should they bring back Prince and Mukamara who got cut by the Raiders? And I was just like, nope, sorry. Love Prince. Love the guy. Had some good years with us. Nope. <laughs> like, he, he was not great last year. Uh, but, but by that same token, Fuller was not really that great last year. Fuller's passer rating against was 105. He gave up 70% completions. Um, he had a rough year by his standards. So, you know, I think he's going to have a bounce back season now that we have a pass rush again, but uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, for sure to see how that shakes out. I, but I like Vildor and I, you know, the safeties, I don't really heard much. I mean, have you heard anything about the safeties? I, I feel like it's kind of going to just be Gibson's, but I haven't, nobody's really asked how that's going since the like first couple first week maybe right i know that gibson we had a couple of uh nagging injuries in camp and and bush is uh, balled out mm. so it's it, i mean it, it could be either one of them heading into detroit it will be you know we, we won't know until uh you know till noon on sunday the 13th uh well i think of, it's a it's a good depth position at this point though just because We've had plenty of times where there was a position battle at safety and both of them sucked. I don't think, I don't think either one of these guys is a bad player. You know, this isn't like uh, when it was uh, uh, Major Wright and Chris Conti and you know uh, some of these guys. So um, this, you know, it's a good. It's a. I think it's again. I feel decent about either one of those guys playing. Well, we'll we'll see. Boy, when we go uh, when we go on our next podcast next week, we're talking game week. Hard to yeah. believe. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll uh, we'll be talking on Wednesday, uh, and we'll be literally 
less than one day away from the opening kickoff when Kansas City uh, you know, plays. Uh, what are they playing? Uh, are they playing Houston or Houston. Tennessee? Houston. You know, so it was a, it's a, you know, a, a, a NFC playoff rematch. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but last but not least, we, the, the sports books are now open and the bears are actually a three point underdog to the Detroit lions. And based on the Nagy's history with the, with games against Detroit, I think that's an easy pick. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, and a lot of Detroit fans have been chirping, you know, they don't care who the quarterback is. Well, it's like either way you're screwed. Trubisky's best games have been against the lions and, uh, you know, uh, Foles shredded the Matt Patricia's defense in the Super Bowl. So uh, either way, it's not like I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not that worried about them losing this game. I just I'm a little worried about the running back position. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, sometimes I think the lines with Chicago are weird because we have an extremely active betting fan base. So. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I feel like this is almost like a tease, you know, the Could way be. this is starting out and it's going to get, it's going to get bet down heavily. I feel like just, you know, I'm no like well, sharp or anything at all about betting, but I just think it's going to, the, the money, the, the, the heavy public money is going to come in on the bears. You would, you would think, um, but the, you know, when you look at, this is a divisional game. And, you know, historically, the Bears have their best record in the division is against Detroit. Mm. So who who has the the worst? Who, who do the Bears have the worst record against inside the division? Uh, I feel like the obvious guys, answer would be the Packers. Yep. And you're, you would be wrong. Mm. <laughs> They're there. It, it's so. it's yeah. The Vikings have, uh, uh, you know, going back to the days of Bud Grant, the Vikings absolutely dominated the bears. In, in fact, the very first game the Vikings ever played in the NFL, the bears traveled up to Minnesota and Minnesota absolutely dismantled the bears and George Hallis was one pissed off coach. <laughs> so, uh, wow. and uh, they pretty much have, have had the Bears number all throughout the you know history of the rivalry, aside from the uh, uh, the years uh, the the Ditka years. Mm. Nagy's done well against them so far. He has small sample size. Yeah, it's only been two years, so yeah, you're you're absolutely absolutely right. But and he's done it with uh, with. With uh, backups, backup quarterbacks, because you know Trubisky hurt his shoulders in both games against Minnesota in eighteen and nineteen. So yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. So uh, we'll talk Hopefully. more. We'll talk more about the history of the Bears' record against Detroit okay. because that's their their uh, first opponent of the year. And uh, with that, I want to thank. Our, our special guest, Jack Silverstein, for coming on board from Windy City Gridiron. You can catch him at Reed Jack on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to his uh, uh, his new 
venture about the Bulls. And uh, we, of course, we can't uh, leave without thanking our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And remember, as soon as we get to 1,000 followers, we are going to give one lucky follower two tickets to the Bears-Packers game in 2021 unless two things happen. If we get to 1,000 before January 3rd and the Bears are allowing people in the stands, uh, we might just bump that up to tickets for this year's game against the Packers on January 3rd. With that, this is Michael Halitech thanking my co-host and producer Aaron Torricelli for another great episode of Halitech Hall, and we'll see you next week.